Hello and welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan, where it's a good news week. Um, this is the week of the International Women's Day. And Sarah, the government announced that come the autumn, assuming the people vote as they're supposed to vote, you will finally be freed and no longer chained to the kitchen. Um, I don't know what your husband is going to do to feed himself, but I wanted to start off by asking you, what your reaction is to the news that the Constitution will no longer mandate that you remain in the home. Oh my God, John. Like, just every week, I think, this will be the week where there will be something that doesn't depress or annoy me. But I'm afraid this isn't going to be the week. Like, <laughs> what's the point of this referendum? What is the point of it? And, for, and by the way, we've discussed this before. I have loads of friends who, like, wanted to stay at home, would like to stay at home, enjoy being at home and the constitution actually specifically like places a value on that work all we ever hear about is well not all we ever hear about but like as far as i'm concerned amongst my friends in terms of the value that women add in the home like we're we're looking for acknowledgement of that at a social level not not the removal of it from the constitution the mental load that women carry the things they do in the home that men don't the value that that adds to every household like we're just taking that out of the constitution because somebody's feelings were hurt. What a load of crap. So you're voting no, are you? Yep. I haven't decided I, how I'm going to vote yet. Uh, I mean, I think I'm going to vote no because uh, it's just such a load of nonsense. On the yeah. other hand, on the other hand, I mean, I do object to that clause on the constitution because of the phrase endeavor to ensure. It says that the state will endeavor to ensure that women are recognized for the work they carry out in the home, which of course... When you say we'll endeavor to ensure something, it means you don't have to actually do anything. You can just say, oh, we tried, um, which is kind of the Irish constitution to a T um, in terms of all the rights it guarantees. So, I mean, I don't necessarily see the value of the clause, but I also have to say the idea that this is something that we should spend money on. This is something we should call people out to vote on. This is something we should spend weeks and weeks. And you can see them now. You can just imagine all the TV show panels we're going to have about the debates about the legacy of Catholic Ireland and all the rest of it, that we're going to go through all of that pain, misery and suffering to change a constitutional clause that has no real practical effect and it's entirely symbolic. Like, is there nothing else? Um, yeah, exactly. About? I mean, I one of the things that, like that I don't normally like to do is to kind of reduce something down to being less valuable than not, you know, like, you know, the way people do this all the time and you say like, oh, well, you know, I think we should um, do something about X, Y, and Z. And they're like, how dare you? There's 47 other problems. Normally I try and avoid that kind of thinking, but this is so, it's not even, it's not even that it's, it's ridiculous because even though it is, but it's also just, it's just the most glaring example we've had in a while of an, of a nonsense hurt feelings agenda that is now going to cost us even more money and time and 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 you know and I know from like referendums they're obviously their time their money but like it will it, it will consume the discourse for months it will distract from everything else it's ridiculous and it's entirely being done to satisfy something that is irrelevant compared to 57 other things that we could be talking about. Yeah, for me, I like, 
I think back to, I mean, I think the, the, the worst things to have happened this country in, in, in the last 10 years were the marriage and abortion referendums. I'm, and I, I want to clarify by saying I'm in favor of gay marriage. I voted yes on that one. I voted no. Yeah. On no on the Even though no one ever thinks you do. I noticed that on Twitter. Everyone's oh, yeah. always like, John McGurk voted no or whatever. And I, every time I see it, I'm like, how many times does this guy have to clarify that? <laughs> it's so, I mean, do people just ignore it on purpose? Or do you think something is just not permeating through? Or well, are you just, they just want to believe. Th- this leads on to, this leads on to what I'm going to say. In that, I don't think, I mean, set the results aside. Um, I think the reason they were bad was they got people, and when I say people, I mainly mean the young and the activist class, utterly addicted to this idea that they're in a lifelong crusade to save Ireland from the miserable past. And so I think there's this association in people's heads that has been created, assiduously created between the past and the influence of the Catholic Church. Those two things are inseparable. And I think yeah. when you th- those referendums represented in people's eyes um, this idea of a, a, a tremendous victory over the dark forces of, of the past that want to bring us back to the 1950s when you, Sarah, would yeah. be condemned to a workhouse and, you know, uh, people will be called fallen women and all that sort of stuff. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah, yeah. it's like um, I did this, like this it sounds like a really bizarre example, but I do have a point. Years ago when I was doing my undergrad, I did... Um, history and English and one of my like you know the way in your degree you kind of do like a mini thesis or whatever and I did mine on um football hooliganism and um (laughs) it was all about um how like the um the theory like in it was intertwined with literature whatever uh boring but the point the overarching point that there was an entire generation of men who'd grown up in a house where their fathers had been in world war ii their grandfathers had been in world war one and they like you know, there was multi-generations of men who'd, you know, gone out to fight for country and, you know, and were big, whatever. And then there was this absence of any cause for these young men and that, you know, violence and football hooliganism had some, you know, I'm, I'm very much oversimplifying the thesis here, but you get my point. And it's like mm-hmm. the same. Sometimes it feels like the same thing. Okay, fine. Like, um, I voted for gay marriage as well. Like, it's not something that, like, is any of my business or bothers me, whatever. But like, it's like, an addiction to the what you see as social change and, and achieving freedom, but also like acting as if pretending. And it was the same when we were talking to Mary last week, like pretending as if there's not massive inroads been made in loads of social areas for young people these days mm-hmm. and that you're still put upon by the specter of the church or somebody or men or the patriarchy that you always need to have your, your victimhood, as I say, but also that this big, big, like scary, oppressive thing above you, because otherwise, if you don't have that and you're not fighting for that, well, maybe it's about time you just start getting on with it and you don't really want to do that at all. It's the same with climate change activists, like, you know, throwing, pouring out milk at Harrods and throwing paint, throwing paint over paintings. And it's like climate change, complicated issue, won't get into it. But climate change will be like any, any anything that's achieved in that area. Ireland and England could sink into the ground tomorrow with, like with any changes we do and it won't make a difference. It'll be a change will be achieved through innovation. Why don't you get a job in a startup that's specialising in carbon capture? Oh, no, no, too hard. Better go 
going to Harrods and break all the eggs instead because you're an activist and you need to feel like you have an enemy and it gives you purpose because the alternative is going to work in a nine to five and maybe do a photocopying for people in the startup and you don't want to do that because that's too hard and it's the yep. same with this it's like you constantly have to have an enemy you constantly have to have oppressed be oppressed and you constantly have the church and all these people can't you oh my god like i saw an article by with panty bliss the other day saying that like it's it's worse now to be gay in dublin than it was in the 80s talk me through that please like really <laughs> i'd i'd like to know but you, but if without your victimhood and without your enemies and without this stuff who are you anymore? And if it is and worse, I, if it is worse to be gay in Dublin now than it was in the 1980s, then what have you achieved with your life? This is a person yeah. who has devoted their entire life to achieving equality and respect and and admiration and and acceptance for gay people, and apparently it's worse now than it was when he started. So, um, you know, I, I, I but I think if you sat down with him and actually talked to him, you would get to a point where he would go, okay, fine. You know, here's a list of things that are better. Mm -hmm. I think that article is just incredibly misleading. But the point is there that I think there's a lot of people who feel real lonely without their victimhood, without their oppressors, whether they be the church, the patriarchy or somebody. You got to have one because otherwise, you know, you, you, you know, get busy living or get busy crying. So <laughs> it's like crying every day about what's happening to you or get busy living and they don't want to do that that is uh, that, that that's probably going to be the title of the podcast such a good one that was <laughs> but i'll tell you um, for me it, it, it's also it's also made worse by a political class for whom this kind of nonsense is a substitute for real change they can't deliver yeah. housing they can't deliver yeah. a safe, safe streets in the capital city they can't put criminals behind bars um they can't uh, fix the health service. They can't do any of the things that the public and politician, uh, the public expect their politicians to deliver. And I am not just talking about the government. I'm also talking about the Labour Party. Ivana Bacic standing out there the other day with a smile from ear to ear about a meaningless referendum because she knows that when she gets into power, if she gets into power, which I doubt, she hasn't a hope of delivering any of the kind of meaningful. There's nobody's rent is going to go from three grand for their hovel in Sandyford to uh, one grand because they elect the Labour Party. But the one thing they can offer is the sugar high of a social change referendum yeah. and a big day out in Dublin Castle. And hopefully, if they're really lucky, my uh, your, your, your predecessor on this show, David Quinn, will probably be one of the people opposing this referendum and they can celebrate another victory over the Hated I Own Institute and maybe the bishops. So like... If I was, if I was somebody who, on the sort of conservative right on this, um, like right, by, by which I mean, like somebody involved in the church, I would sit about. Don't don't give them what they want, which is, you know, bishops out there talking about the importance of the family, um, so that people can go on radio and talk about the Magdalene laundries, which is is what this referendum is about. That's the purpose of it. Um, and I like would just, there no sense of irony if it happened that a bishop is one who's out defending that the constitution acknowledge the role of women like oh god uh, Sharon oh, Kilgan Sharon, Sharon made, made an interesting point today actually that that um, this is actually the only place in the constitution where women are mentioned yeah yeah there's the, the word woman doesn't appear anywhere else in the constitution at all which probably the way things are going is probably a good thing because no one's really sure what the word woman means anyway these days but more of that in a few minutes but I just think um, on this I actually suspect, now I'm not going to put, give you huge odds, but I think there's a better than, definitely better than 25% chance 
this thing actually gets defeated. Oh, because, I agree. I agree. Yeah, they did a poll. I think people use, go on, yeah, go on. They did a poll back in 2015 on this, and I think it was 50-50. Um, and if you get somebody who comes out, and I'm not talking about um, a sort of a bishop or a David Quinn figure, but just somebody um, like the Irish Country Women's Association who say, for example, something like, well, sure, we all know women do do a lot of work in the home. That's just reality. It's nice to be recognized in the Constitution. This doesn't do us any harm. Uh, and I fear the consequences of taking it out. I think there's an awful lot of women up and down the country quietly. They mightn't say it online. They mightn't say it in their, you know, it, 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 in public. But I think there'll be a lot of women who quietly will say, no, I want to keep that reference. And, a, you know, a lot of men as well. And there's also a lot of women, like there was a really interesting article. I think it was in the New York Times a few years ago, and it started this phrase. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, you probably have, called the mental load. And it was about like women, even when they're working, they have. So I take my husband, Keith, for example. I'm at home right now. He's down in the living room. He's probably watching um, some kind of World War II documentary for the 19th time or whatever. He has absolutely no idea that I know that we don't have any milk. I'm not really sure what there is for the kids' lunches tomorrow. Um, but do we have a clean tracksuit track day bottoms for our older son for school? I don't know. I better check that. And uh, We need to get butter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a load in the dryer that needs to be turned on and all that. And there is was an entire New York Times article about the mental load that women carry, whether they're working or not, in the home, that they do more of that kind of like the project management or this, you know, of the of the household running than men ever do and, and have that on their mind all the time. And it's very exhausting. And like acknowledging that there's a role that women play in in the home that's exclusive or different to the one that men is does them absolutely no harm. And I think you're absolutely right. I think any woman who's in the home who like is has kids and is managing all of those tiny little, you know, things that all add up. Um, my phone, no. And also, I think that a lot of people are just tired of this whole thing. And yep. I see it changing. And I think that Irish people, and I, in the past, I've loved them and hated them in different times for it, use referendums and local elections and stuff to whip the government if they feel like it. I was just about and, to say that this is a free two fingers to the government. Absolutely yeah. cost free. Do you remember a couple of years ago, they did that ridiculous referendum? It, 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 if possible, it was actually more ridiculous than this one where they wanted to change the presidential age limit as in to, <laughs> let, to let 18-year-olds become president. Now, I, I voted no at the time. I'm sorry I didn't vote yes because I think an 18-year-old would be better than... Would be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, but it went down 90-10 or something like that. And but like, uh, what was the point of that? Like, uh, no, nobody knew then. Nobody really knows now. I think it was theoretically like, about equality. Oh, the idea that it's just—it's going to be my phrase. No one's really doing any thinking. So somebody went into a room and said, "Sure, this will be good. Let's do that." You know. And yeah, also, I, by the way, not to be a bore, but like the Constitution should, it, like, it, it's an—it it should. It's not a kind of a word document that we have a hack at every once in a while. Like, it should have some, you know, we should have some respect for it, not to be going at it all the time. It should actually be much, it should be much harder to amend. And I know people listening to this who maybe voted different ways for me in referendums will say, but of course you'd say that. But it, it should have been, in the example of the Eighth Amendment, it, it should actually have been harder to put that in as well as to take it out. It should be harder yeah, to amend yeah. the Constitution. Like it is, it is, it, it, to me there is no point, the whole purpose of a Constitution 
and sorry, now this is getting into sort of political science, but the purpose of a constitution is essentially to defend minority rights. It is to say that if a, a, an elected government elected by 50% plus one can't decide tomorrow to lock up the minority, can't decide to start rounding people up and putting them in camps because that's a breach of your rights. And the fact that there's a constitution there saying that will be illegal and there are rights, that it's to protect the minority from the oppression of the majority. But when the majority can just um, amend the constitution with a 50% plus one vote, then it doesn't protect minority rights at all because you mm -hmm. can get rid of them at the drop of a hat. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan, actually, of the 1937 constitution um, or the way that we amend it. I think other countries do this better. They have shorter, simpler constitutions that, um, that you would say, these are the fundamental rights people have. And if you want to amend it, it takes 60% or whatever. Um, so yeah. I think that's that's where we should be. That's what we should do, but it's not what we're going to do. And, and I also think it's hugely disrespectful to the Constitution to do what the politicians are doing at the moment, which is essentially treating amending it as a way to give uh, left-wing activists a little bit of a day out of the Council. Yeah. yeah, that's what it is. Anyway, that wasn't the only thing that happened this week. Um, my <laughs> week started, actually, uh, with a text from somebody uh, in the Oireachtas, and I can't name them. Um, but, but this person said, have you seen the invitation list for the event being held on International Women's Day tomorrow? That was as in last Monday, the 6th of March. And I said, I haven't. Yeah. Um, and it turns out that one of the invitees to address an event in the Dáil Chamber to mark International Women's Day being hosted by the Oireachtas Women's Caucus and Women for Election was a transgender activist, biological male person. Nothing necessarily wrong. If it was just that, I wouldn't have done the story. The story was, this is a person with a long record of remarks about how um, people who disagree with him, women who disagree with him, should be terrified, made to fear for the consequences of what they say, smashed, beaten. Um, now, whether beaten with sticks or beaten politically, you know, is open to interpretation, but smashed is not. And this person um, was uh, invited to address the doll on the rights of women. Um, I, I just, I, I can't, I can't understand it, especially given that last week, Sarah, you and I did a podcast with Mary Kenny, who wasn't allowed to speak in the University of Limerick because she said I she clearly that there's more than two genders. Um, I mean. I, yeah, and, and anyway, this is then followed up, of course, with a week of discussion about what should be taught in primary schools to children about transgender rights. You have uh, children who are in primary school or are very close to it in one case, uh, and you know, one, one in primary school and one, I think, soon to be in primary school. One, one starting in September, one going into first class in September. So, yeah, coming, coming into school. Yeah. Uh, what do you want them taught about uh, how many genders there are? Nothing. Um, absolutely nothing. I don't want them taught about anything. Like, for the record, uh, the kids are amazingly, you know, we've discussed this before, like kids are pretty smart, right? So, like, for example, there's um, gay couples with children in my son's school and he just takes it as a given. I don't have to explain anything to him. He's just like, yeah, that kid has two moms. That's fine. Like, there's no issue. There's no problem. But I don't think that the place where it's like, I don't think I want to my son anything that we as adults, that I, I, I still don't fully understand, led by an agenda that I ultimately have major, major problems with. 
I don't understand the cons- why we're so consumed with what we teach kids about this. Mm. Did somebody come into your school when you were in primary school and talk to you about anything? I, when we when we were in sixth class, uh, so uh, 11, 12, I think some of us might have been 13, I was definitely 12, we had uh, a little old lady, she would have been in her 50s maybe at the time, um, I think from one of some Catholic approved group come in and talk to us about the birds and the bees. And it was it was very clinical. It was basically yeah. what goes where and why. Um, and that was it. Um, and this is being replaced. The agenda is to replace that because apparently it doesn't give us an insight into the complexities of relationships um, with sort of a more well, I thought you'd say more, uh, more sexualized in the sense that sex is recreational approach to teaching uh, children about this stuff. Um, and I just, I, I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know why that is necessary. I don't know who thinks it's a good idea. I don't know who thinks children really want it. Um, yeah. But for example, we had these debates these days about sort of porn literacy in which there is a, a debate about whether children should be told that, you know, pornography is fake and depicts an entirely different version of sexuality than what they're likely to encounter in the real world on the one hand. Or um, on the other hand, people who there are, there's a school of thought in education that says people should be taught, taught that pornography is a useful and healthy part of a sexual relationship. I don't, I don't know why the state needs to be making those decisions. I really don't. I don't know why yeah. teachers have to be engaged in those conversations. I don't know why schools have to be making taking a position on it. But when it comes to the transgender stuff, I mean, there's a book on the uh, website of the National Council of, uh, for the Curriculum called "Free to Be Me," which is recommended for children aged four, sorry, um, four and upwards, um, and it essentially says um, for children aged four, you can choose your own gender. Um, you know, you can, you can, and, and it says you should think about how gender might be expressed as a spectrum rather than a binary. This is on, this is, this is, this is a book that's recommended for primary school kids, asking them to think about how gender might be expressed as a spectrum. Gender can't be expressed as a spectrum. That's a, that's a, a political yeah. argument. It's not a statement of fact. And, and, you know, the fact that there's been a huge push to get this into schools to me is just appalling because it's not going in for educational purposes, it's going in to indoctrinate kids. That's that's why these political groups are in favor of it, the likes of the transgender equality now. But I think that they're overreaching because, I mean, I'm 39. I have three kids. Most of my friends have kids and I would, you know, be talking to them. I was speaking to two friends who have kids this, just about this today. And I have not met one person, not one parent who wants this. Not one. And these would be people who'd be kind of like, yeah, you know, do whatever you like. But when you start getting into the kids thing, people start to push back. And I think this is an overreach and they will be unpleasantly surprised at how this plays out. That's my prediction. Yeah, but I don't don't understand why you feel the need to talk. Why are why is everyone so obsessed with kids? Like, just let them watch Paw Patrol. The funny thing is that like everywhere this has been introduced has been unpopular. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon basically lost her job because of her position on this stuff. When you add it in, she also yeah. had a position on, on, on what kind of criminals should be incarcerated with women in women's prisons. Um, but 
this stuff is is toxic, politically toxic. But I don't think our politicians know. I don't think they're in touch. Um, I, I think one of the things about Leinster House, and we've talked about this in the past, is that it's very unlike a lot of other parliaments in that it's almost a hermetically sealed bubble. I don't know, um, I, I, you know, whatever about grassroots TDs. I don't know how many ordinary people ministers talk to. I think they're so surrounded by yeah. NGOs. The National Women's Council is coming in and telling them they're wonderful. Yeah, that's it. Um, like and that. others, and the Irish Council for Civil Liberties and, and Amnesty and all these organisations are coming in telling them how wonderful and progressive they are. Um, the media is dominated. Um, the, the political media is dominated by young, usually unmarried, single liberals in their 20s and 30s um, yeah. who are by and large, the most liberal and progressive people in the country. Um, and they're they are the ones asking the questions. All the assumptions in this, if you're a politician, are drifting in one way. I don't know how many um, parents with young kids, the average minister responsible, talks to about this stuff. Um, and I think they're hermet- hermetically sealed from it. And I think it, it could well blow up on their in their faces. Because when, when, when parents start getting school books home and reading through them, those parents who do, um, you know, I think there'll be There'll be problems for them on this. What did you make of the president's intervention? Well, the less said by him, the better, really, isn't it? But he seems to have a habit of, you know, I, I'd love, I'd love to know, you know, how accepting the media would have been on com- commentary at that level from the president if somebody instead of him had got elected that didn't, like, you know, align with all of their views. I like the wording. What was the wording that he said? Um. He said that human sexuality should be taught to its fullest extent. To its fullest extent? What does that mean? Sorry, sorry let me, I actually don't want to misquote him. Um, so let's see exactly what he said. But it was something like, it was it was to a full extent. To its fullest, full extent, yeah. Because I was struck by the phrase. Yeah, it was a like, remarkable turn of phrase. Um, like, uh, I, I don't know where he got it from. Or why he decided to say that. It sounds, and I'm, 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 I want to be clear. I'm sure he didn't mean it this way. We have to give the man the benefit of the doubt. But it sounds vaguely creepy. Um, yeah, no, it, I, I thought it was a bizarre phrase to use. He, that to, I mean, to its fullest, whatever that means, John. Uh, that teach, means. teach sexuality. The exact quote was obliged to teach sexuality in its fullest sense, in that fullest sense. Um, I, I don't know what he means. I don't know what he thinks he means. I don't know why he used that turn of phrase. I don't know why the president needed to say this. I mean, in his other interventions, to be fair to the man, though I think he shouldn't be making any interventions, but his intervention on housing, for example, was to contradict the government to say something that he thought needed to be saying said that wasn't being said. His interventions on international politics tend to be to reinforce a socialist view that he doesn't think is being aired. This is literally something that the Taoiseach and Taunishta had said during the week. We want to teach this stuff in schools. Um, so why he then felt the need to come out and, and use a very clunky turn of phrase saying we should teach human sexuality to its in its fullest sense in schools, I don't know what possessed him. Um, and I haven't heard, even from people who I know voted from him, anyone react well to it. Uh, I think most people were like, what is he on? Um, because, I mean, we're talking here about primary schools. The debate is about primary schools. I mean, there's a lot of stuff about human sexuality I'd be, you know, I'd be hesitant to mention to you, Sarah, and you're 39. Um, you know, that, and I'm sure vice versa. Like, it's it's not a topic that anyone really wants to hear about in its fullest sense. Um, 
Yeah, I, but I also think. it's all it's also not the job of of schools to do that. Like I had conversations like my mother was the one who talked to me about this stuff. Um, I never really had anything in school um, put to me apart from some kind of weird your bodies are changing kind of talk once. But um, I think it's like with me, my kids, you know, like you can explain things to your kids and, and, and you know, be open to a point. But like to its fullest, no. Like, you know, the, I don't know. We're just maybe he needed his monthly shot of woke adrenaline or some uh, like maybe the sales of the you know teapot cozies with his head on them have gone down or something and he needed a bit of attention i don't know but i don't think it's the job of the president to do that and if he wanted to make interventions like that he should have stayed in the doll to be honest yeah, yeah. I, I and as you say i mean even talking about hypothetical presidents if president McAleese. And I mean President McAleese back when she was President Mary McAleese, not, not now that she's sort of a quasi-bishop or whatever she is. Um, mm. If she had said or offered her opinions on various topics like Northern Ireland, for example, because she comes from a nationalist background in Northern Ireland while she was president, yeah. there would have been war. Exactly. There would have been calls for impeachment. There would have been, you know, President ashamed the office stuff. I mean, the, the double standard here is remarkable. I, I was listening to Shane Coleman today on uh, on News Talk this morning. Now, generally making a lot of sense. But he said... Yeah, it was good. He said in relation to the president, he said, oh, politicians are too scared to call him out. And of course they are, because he got more votes than they did. Um, and, and they aren't particularly popular. But I don't think politicians are the issue here. I think the issue is um, our, our self-regarding guardians of democracy in the Irish Times and the Independents and RTE who were this, um, were this, if Peter Casey had won that election and was now saying uh, immigration is too high, they'd be camped outside the park demanding his resignation. Yeah. They would. Yeah. They all know it. The public know it's true. We the, These yeah. people in the media are tolerating this because they essentially agree um, yeah. or don't want to be seen to disagree, which is actually a more important thing, don't want to be seen to disagree. That, then uh, they'd be you know, sneering about how he doesn't understand his role and he's, you know, denigrating the role of the president and it's not he doesn't understand what he's supposed to be. Like, oh, I can, I could literally write the articles myself, you, you know, like you if could. he stepped over the line, you know, once. And this isn't the first time. And, you know, uh, it's just the same old, same old, John. If you're on the right side, you can say what you want. You can do what you want because, you know, no one will ever challenge you in the media because you're saying the right things. And if you're not on the right side, everyone will be waiting for the first opportunity to cancel you because you stepped over the line mar marginally once. Uh -huh. And that's that's the Ireland that we have at the moment. Well, you know, we, as we said a minute ago, we live in a country where Mary Kenny can't speak in the university limit because she thinks there are two yeah. genders. But, a, but a, a, a person, I nearly said a guy, a person can speak in the doll about the rights of women having called for women to be smashed. That's the, the country we live in. It, only one side um, has to behave well and other people can get away. But it's with also turned international. We now have an international women's day that's just a farce. Well, I think, it, farce. I, I, I think it's, um, and I said this to Mary Kenny last week, but I, I wrote a piece for tomorrow speaking of cancel that might get me cancelled just called Freak Week because I think that's <laughs> what this was. I think International Women's Day has the same effect these days on the Irish political establishment 
and media establishment as as a full moon has on a family of werewolves. I think it makes yeah. them embrace the crazy. I think when you look at the 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 pointless referendum we've discussed, you look at the the week we spent talking about how much sex to teach to young kids. When you look at all the various ridiculous initiatives, um, we in the doll in the Shannon this week we had a, I think three hours devoted to statements on International Women's Day. This is a parliament. This is this is a national representative body that is supposed to be working for the people. And instead we have senators standing up to get their social media moment about how remarkably in tune they are with International Women's Day. It, it just brings out the absolute worst in the political class. Um, I, I don't understand it. I, I, as I said last week, I think it's kind of taken on a kind of quasi-religious role in post-Catholic yeah. Ireland. There's, it, it's, it's sort of like, it, it's, it's the day in which you remember that our mothers died for our sins. I think that's what International Women's Day is now in 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 modern Ireland, um, and I think it just brings out the the absolute worst in people. Anyway, well, it used to be, but now it's the worst. It's worse because it's 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 now become a transgender day, if you ask me. Like it, it, it's and and by the way, there is a transgender day. Am I right? Like this is Women's Day, and it's all about trans awareness and trans. That's all I saw on social media. That's all I heard. I saw pictures, uh, cartoons and stuff like that of um, Happy Women's Day with loads of cartoons of naked women. I don't know why they have to be naked, but shit will. Um, Happy Women's Day. Some of them have penises. Like, just... So I don't know. And, and, I think and, the whole and, thing has just and, turned into farce. It's... There was one during the week I saw where there was a video about um, lesbians, but lesbians now has an asterisk after it um, because lesbians include in, can can include non-binary people who are attracted to women. So I can actually be a lesbian tomorrow uh, if I if I want, according to some of these definitions. I just have to say that I'm non-binary. I don't apply by a gender, but I am. You know, I consider myself attracted to women. But I'm not male, therefore I might be a lesbian. I mean, I don't know. I talk. One of the things that's very interesting is the number of gay and lesbian people who who I encounter, who ten years ago would have ten yeah. years ago would have agreed with me on very little, and are now like, you know, yeah. I, it's, I'm, yeah. I'm really worried about how much I'm agreeing with you about stuff, um, because yeah. they they feel like their identity is being stolen from them too. I mean, it, this trans stuff is just taking over. Um, it's it's the the LG. B people are now starting to walk out of the LGBT movement because they really don't represent them anymore. And that, folks, I'm afraid, is where we had to leave it. We will never find out what people say when they go into Leinster House because, unfortunately, at that very moment, while Sarah and I were recording our podcast, it started snowing in Tipperary, where I live. And when it starts snowing in Tipperary, when it starts doing anything in Tipperary, really, the power goes out. So we suffered a power cut, which meant that this episode had to be cut a little bit short. We would have re-recorded it on Friday morning, but unfortunately it was nearly one o'clock in the afternoon when the power came back and there simply wasn't time. Anyway, I do hope you found that entertaining. Uh, thanks to Sarah as ever for joining me. We will both be back next week, hopefully with no technical glitches. But for now, that was an abbreviated version of the week that really was. <laughs>